1: 1-2 pitch, ball lined to Yout, it's short! He throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air, Yout, makes a great catch! And won, the Amos has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history! Swings and here it is! A face hit in the right center!
0: He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well. And it's has gone. Brown! A two-run home run! The Brewers take the lead! Morgan a smash up the middle.
2: it is. it sends one to right center indeed. Get up, get up, get out of here and go
3: for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Adam, this is uh, session two of the Manchester-Dublin tapes where we sit down and talk about the Milwaukee Brewers from across the Atlantic uh we've got a nice round number of games played this season so far in 2022 and and things are going pretty well the Milwaukee Brewers are 13 and seven I believe they sit in first place in the NL Central their're rightful place atop that throne but obviously there's a long way to go first of all Adam how you doing
2: I'm doing great I'm obviously doing better than you but it you're on the band like you said I think everyone listening who listened the other day will agree you sound better today than you sound as on our last episode.
3: Yeah, last episode was rough. I was only uh, lifted uh, by the performances of the Milwaukee Brewers, but I was really playing through an injury. It was my Michael Jordan flu game. Um, but yeah, I've recovered from the symptoms that were keeping me down from COVID-19. Now it's just the matter of testing negative. So I can get back to the, the beautiful United States of America and watch the Brewers in my natural uh, time zone. Uh, no offense, Adam. I've very much enjoyed our, our late-night uh, experiences together. Watching I'm glad that this brewers. exercise
2: could open up with you getting to appreciate the struggle somewhat. I think that's, oh, yeah. that's helpful.
3: Adam, I think I've always uh, appreciated the sacrifices you make for, for myself and uh, our colleagues in, in podcasting at late hours and watching sports uh, at late hours. But now I really have lived it for for a brief period, so I'll just always any, anytime any time I'm I'm settling in at, at eight o'clock, uh, Eastern time to watch a Brewers game. I'll I'll think about what time it is for Adam and say you know what, thank you, Adam. Um, but on our last before podcast...
2: before before you launch in before we get into the real business here, I'm just quick quick note. Again, it's a reminder those of you who've been listening to GSPN pods to win in six. You'll already be on top of this, but. Our GSPNstore.com launch sale is coming to a close. Ends April 30th. 22% off right now. Promo code playoffs22. That's where you can get all your cruising for a bruising merch, like, like some I'm wearing right now. I've Mine finally arrived today. So I'm very excited about that. I'll feed out some pictures of it later. But if you want to get your hands on some, whether it's a t shirt, a sweatshirt, a hoodie, mug, whatever it might be. We've got tons of options up there. We've got cruiser for bruising, we've got books team stuff from Win Six from Eurostep. And we've got general Eurostep podcast network stuff too. If you want to rep the podcast support us, we greatly appreciate it. And the, Andrew, we are the leaders in the clubhouse. The best selling, the best selling merch is the cruising for bruising stuff. So I, I don't know if that's a lot of pressure on us at this early stage, if we should be flattered. If we should just be very grateful to the fantastic designers who delivered our our logo, but um, it's it's great and it's it was very very cool to see we were getting um some some shots of some cruising for bruising merch out in the wild, not just for people in their own homes or out and about, but literally at Amfan, and that was that was very very cool to see in the space of like two and a half weeks from when you joked at me about let's start a brewers podcast a lot has happened in those two and a half weeks including you making the trip of a lifetime getting stranded getting covid and us starting a merch store and people actually wearing that merch to brewers games
3: it really has been uh like the rot burgundy while this escalated quickly gif uh GIF, whatever it's called um but yeah uh my my cruising for bruising merch is uh in my home uh and i look forward to to wearing it, I make no, I have no illusions that any of the success of the merch has anything to do with with myself. But the logo is amazing. Uh, the team absolutely killed that, and you should pick up some, uh, especially while that promo code is still active, um, or when it's not, your call. <laughs> yeah, you're um, also
2: welcome, Ben. But we're trying to help. We're Yeah, you
3: know. yeah, exactly. We're we're nice guys. Uh, we like uh, we like to help folks. So the last time we spoke. Adam, we, we had some positive things to discuss on the podcast, but we left on a bit of a sour note because the Milwaukee Brewers had just blown a late lead to the San Francisco Giants. We saw that the Pittsburgh Pirates were coming up on the schedule, and we said, you know what? The Pirates, despite their uh, level of confidence that they have shown overall with their 500 record going into this series, they might be a sight for sore eyes. And as it would turn out, they were. Um, so game one. Uh, featured Brandon Woodruff on the mound against Mitch Keller. Uh, Before the game, the Brewers had to make their first roster move of the season, Victor Caratini, to the COVID-19 IL. Alex Jackson called up from Nashville to serve as the backup catcher during this period. Uh, Shout out to Victor Caratini. Get well. Uh, I empathize more than ever now. Uh, But a baseball game would be played. And Adam, something that's been a bit of a a rarity this season, the Brewers – uh, got the, the scoring started off early. Uh, Colton Wong leads off the game with a walk, and then Willie Adams absolutely crushes a two-run homer, which would make it a, his second trade at bat with a homer, dating back to that eighth-inning solo homer against the Giants. Um, two-nothing Brewers mid-first. Uh, how are you feeling early? Two, two-nothing lead with Big Woo on the mound. It, it feels like a recipe for another uh, maybe low-scoring, uh, but, uh, you know, close Brewers win how did, how did you feel at that point
2: Adam it doesn't feel low scoring when you've got two runs in by the first because sometimes the Brewers do not get two runs in in nine innings so um, definitely was, was feeling a lot better it was great to see just those early signs of life I could not have predicted where this game was going to go from there how it would unfold the number of times where I was like oh this is fantastic they're finally getting A big dominant easy win, and I guess it was that, but there were certainly still enough uh moments to create doubt and make us you know just sit a little uneasily. Um, until Josh Hader had to come in and close this out, which is something I suppose we'll get to.
3: This game was a roller coaster ride, and I think it changed for the Brewers at at one pretty specific point, and that was in the second inning where uh Woodruff, uh Kevin Newman singled off of Woodruff's foot and he stayed in the game. He threw a few warm-up pitches. He looked okay, but he wasn't necessarily as sharp as after that point. And that's when the run started trickling for the Pirates. Uh Roberto uh, Perez would then double to the left to score Newman, making it two-one Milwaukee. In the fifth inning, Willie Adamas uh, was added again, doubling to to left field to score Colton Long and Lorenzo Kane. That would make it. 4-2, 4-1 Brewers after the fifth inning. In the fifth, the Pirates came right back with a Matt Gamble double to score old friend Daniel Bo- Vogelbach to make it 4-2. Then a Kevin Newman single tied things up at four scoring Cabrian Hayes and Matt Gamble. But then the the Brewers offense, this was a, this was a particularly uh, encouraging game from the Brewers offense because their scoring came in just multiple innings. It wasn't one big flurry. It wasn't a uh, a 2-1 lead followed by a Christian Yelch grand slam or just uh, an inning with a a big homer or you score in the first and you don't score till the seventh. They were scoring inning after inning for the most part. And that was really encouraging. In the sixth, uh, a Tyrone Taylor triple scored Rowdy Tellez. Omar Narvaez followed that up with a single that would score Taylor. Colton Wong er, RBI single that scored Narvaez. And then, that man at it again. Willie Adamas with his second homer of the game to score Jace Peterson and Colton Long. So the sixth inning was the big inning for the Brewers come into the inning tied four, uh, four, leave the inning with a 10, four lead. Uh, Adam, I think we should t- pause for a minute to talk about Willie Adamas. Because so. he, had, he had quite a day, uh, four for five, two runs scored seven RBI and the two home runs. I mean, uh, we'll talk about, the rest of his series in a bit, but it seems like Willie Adamas is figuring something out of the plate.
2: Yeah, he started the season very well. I think our first couple of episodes, we were singing his praises. And just kind of what feels like out of nowhere, I it just dropped off. It completely disappeared. Um, he's been doing great work in the field, generally still. Defensively, he's a real kind of, he's a real playmaker for the Brewers, and we'll talk about that some too in, in the context of this series later. Um, But the offense wasn't quite there. So for him to come back home run the first inning and then follow it up with another at a seven RBI, which was tying the franchise record. (laughs) I think 13 guys have have hit the seven RBI for the Brewers. Doesn't matter if it's a log jab, if there's a lot of them. Anytime you're tying a franchise record, that's pretty good. Um, And... Yeah, the, the signs, even since then, although he hasn't been able to follow this up with a similar performance, we wouldn't expect him to. He's seen the ball really well. He's making really good contacts. And if the weather wasn't what it was like in Pittsburgh or maybe if, if some weird stuff may or may not be going on with the baseballs, there could have been, there could have been some more from him in the games that followed. So very, very encouraging um, what we're seeing from Willi Adamas and you know, let's get them back home, let's close the roof, and let's see if you can add to that a bit.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, leaving the uh, the uh, sixth inning, it was 10-4. Um, a couple of scoreless innings from the Pirates in the bottom of the sixth and the Brewers in the top of the seventh would lead us to the bottom of the seventh. And this is where the game kind of swung a little bit into the, the area where, you know, is this game actually over yet, or could there be some reason for concern? And that is because Jose Urania came into the baseball. Game.
2: Well, that that is why, but it is also it's because of Craig Council, and I was not very pleased or impressed by Craig Council in this game because basically he spent two to three innings torn on whether the game was over or not himself, and. That is not a good place to be. Either send in the guys and get the game done. Or, <laughs> you know, this scenario, there's are actually isn't an alternative because we've seen him toy with the opposite. I just, I really didn't like the approach that was taken to then require Josh Hader to come in. Like, it, it worked out in the end as we go through this series. But the final game, of the series, Hayter can't play because he's played the two previous nights. And considering the number of runs scored, the opposition, and the lead they had, this is not a night where Josh Hader should have been required. So, in on the whole, they got away with it. But I think there was some indecisiveness. There's also I, Urania is not someone that I have any trust in. Um, I I did see. I don't know if you've done any deeper digging on this. I don't believe he is an option. So. He does that's, not. Um, that's something that I don't feel particularly great about and how that may factor into uh, roster decisions at the end of May when that deadline now is.
3: Uh, I think uh, I was reading an article from Tyler Korth. that was Compton Sports Heroics. Uh, he had did a nice kind of article about um, guys that might be facing demotion uh, once the roster limits shift to 26 players on May 2nd, I believe. And Arrhenia is one without an option. Cousins has some options. Um, I think uh, Gustave Milner. does. Hobie Milner has some options. Uh, so I'm really – <laughs> it needs to be a decision based on who gives you the best chance to win baseball games, but it is often not that type of decision made by front offices and coaching staffs. It's so, Austin, th- Ross-
2: clarify this for me.
3: Yeah.
2: I assume this is no different to other – american sports they could just cut him right they could just cut him but it's likely at a cost and obviously he's not within your system anymore i would not see that as a big loss but am i right or wrong on that
3: so basically i think um Irania will have to be designated for assignment and then a team could claim him on waivers if he clears waivers you can send him to nashville the risk <laughs> being that someone claims him which fine uh yeah. i think Council and Stearns, I think, are, are viewing Urania as a guy who is just going to eat innings and in games that are gone or games that are blowouts. And as soon as he's used up that particular value, I think that's when he'll be released. But I really there, hope it's... Is I there, really there hope a it's... reason
2: for that, though? As in, like, I believe, I don't know if you agree or disagree, I think you agree, because it just feels like Urania has been comfortably the worst of the pitchers on staff to start the season like why can't you have someone who that's their role but they're just a little bit better like you don't uh, have to have any guy in the game who blows the game wide open again like and I, I think I tr- I definitely trust Gustave, Hobie Miller, and Jake Cousins more than that even though I'm not saying like oh those guys need to be playing a ton.
3: Yeah there's there's no reason you couldn't have someone like that I think I d- I'm just trying to put myself in their shoes and think the way they're thinking, because if it were me, I would not have signed him to begin the season. I've seen enough of him with the Miami Marlins uh, intentionally throwing at players as well. That's a separate story for another day. Um,
2: I'm surprised he hits.
3: Uh, yeah. Ask Ronald Acuna about uh, <laughs> Jose Ureña. if you ever seen him? Yeah. He's just, he's, he's not a good pitcher. And if you're, here's the thing. If you could even trust him to be the the mop up guy, that that would be one thing. But I think the fact that other guys have options might lead to them doing something stupid. Is just what I is what I worry. Um, but yeah, he he made this a game, and like his job is to save the innings off of high leverage relievers' arms in games mm-hmm. that are that have lost either. Either we're getting crushed or we're crushing someone. And he didn't do that. He, he failed to officer. do his, he failed to do his job. And that in and of itself, it should be reason enough to be like, okay, if he can't even do the like the bare minimum of the purpose he's on the roster, then you know, is that the best use of a roster spot? Uh I think I know you uh there was a point right before he came in. Hobie Milner started. The inning of the seventh was struggling a little bit. Brian Hayes double, Matt Gamble walk, But then he gets a ground out to third base, and it it looked like he had kind of found the zone. And then counsels like Arania, starts off with a walk, sack fly, and then he gets out of the inning. Uh, That's all well and good. And then Arania stays in. And we're like, all right, well, where's this going? And then in the bottom of the eighth, uh, he – I think uh, the first runner reached on an error – and then double to right field, ground out to score a runner, uh, sack fly, 10-7. So you've already played your way into a situation in one inning where it's almost a safe situation. Yeah. And then, so and then the Brewers are like, all right, you know, uh, or, you know, it is a safe situation because it's 10-7 it at is, that uh, point. So it's like going into the top of the ninth inning, you're already like, oh, now we have to use uh, Josh Hader. But yet, Adam, the the Brewers' offense was like, you know what? This is our day where we're playing well. Uh, and they would score two more runs in the inning. Yelich uh, uh, scored uh, a run off of uh, throwing error by Michael Chavis, I believe. And then Omar Narvaez singled to score Andrew McCutcheon 12-7 going into the ninth inning. And then what does Craig Council do? He's like, you know what, I'm going to give Arreña another chance (laughs) to make this game a safe situation. Uh, The Pirates end up scoring uh, another run to make it 12-8 on a fielder's choice to to shortstop. And then another single puts the game into a little more precarious situation with, I think, runners on first and second uh, with two outs. And then Josh Hader has to come in for one batter, strikes out Marcano. Brewers win 12-8. But it was a lot harder than it should have been.
2: Uh, all, all, Hobie Miller, right? So, Hobie Miller obviously has the shaky start, then he gets an out, and it looks like he's found the strike zone. Why take him out then when, like, because what he the decision making that council made there contradicts the decision making he then goes on to make with Urania. Like, it's it, you should have a bit more patience, a bit more confidence, because at that point, you have the lead. And if Miller is going to cough up a little bit more, okay, that is not ideal. But it seemed like he had steadied. And if your your top process at that point is, let's just see if these kind of end of the bullpen guys could see this game out, save some of our more important players. I don't know why you don't let them have just a little bit more than that. To make that decision, it- and then... He, he immediately does the opposite because if that's the top process you think when Urania comes in it doesn't go well right away at that point you just go okay you know I would like to save these guys but like Box you're coming in or Devin you're coming in and let's get this done now you know we've been forced into it, so we're gonna but he just keeps going with that and he keeps and then it's like because it works out well a hater comes in and gets the save which when I say works out well, it would be better if Hader doesn't have to come into a game where you score 12 runs. That is not what you associate with Brewer's baseball, that when you score 12 runs, you're gonna need Josh Hader to close out a game. But at the same time, it's it's just it's kind of sloppy game management. I didn't didn't really understand, <clears throat> excuse me, the thought process because it, it just felt like he was swaying in the wind. Like, you're seeing him react one way to Hobie Milner, and then he just opts against taking similar action with Urania, and he not only lets him go, which maybe you just need to at that point because you don't want to work through too many arms, but he really lets him go. Like, the fact that it's, it's over two innings pitch for Urania is wild.
3: Yeah, and the... I would have liked to see Milner just get to try and at least finish the inning, considering the situation. Because it's not like it's a three-one game where you're like, okay, we need to, like you said, we need to go to Devin now, like close out this inning. You, your your option is Hobie Milner or Jose Urania in that situation, and it's like, is and there are, are 10 we really, five when he's what bold. are we do like what are we really doing here? I I mean, if I would understand it if like it was his second inning of work or something he's not a guy that's used to going multiple innings whatever but it just i don't know it it felt like a situation where there were just a few choices made and and not made in that uh like in those subsets of innings by council where one point was decision and the end point was josh Hader coming into a game he never should have came into and like you said it it could have impacted game three of the series and the Brewers are just lucky that
2: didn't. It's also for us, and probably a reason why we care about it more than like a podcast about any other team would care about this in this situation. The Brewers have not had easy wins. And you finally have a game where it's like, oh, look, they're gonna win, like running away. Like this is this is no game. This is great. And by the end of the game, you're actually you're on edge, like before Hater comes in. Because one, you're saying, Are they gonna have to bring Hater in? And two, you're saying, how much damage is going to be done before Hader has to come in? Like, and the, the other thing with Hader, Hader has been impeccable so far this season. That can't continue. At some point, you know, he he is human, I believe. So at some point, something is going to go against you in Hader's innings. And if this was the game, the game where you score twelve runs against a not very good Pirates team, and they let that get away to or get to a point where hater has to come in and then maybe it is the day where he doesn't quite have it that would have been brutal so just not very convincing management of the game from my my viewpoints maybe maybe people will say there's so much i don't know there and i'm naive but you seem to be in agreement with me so i feel good on that
3: yeah i mean trying to squeeze innings out out of a a guy who's not a high leverage reliever in a game where you got a significant lead. I don't have a problem with, but doing it to the point where like y- you have your ace reliever come into a game. He has to business coming into is, is where I think you really misstep because another, another just, and before I promise we'll move on to, <laughs> to game two in a minute, but it's, it's just something obviously that's, that's sticking out early in this season, just because of how reliant the Brewers are on Boxberger Williams hater. It's a long season, and every inning you put on their arm is going to affect them come October. And so if you can have more days where they just get a day just completely off, you don't have to come into a high-stress inning where you're asked to win the game, that's huge for the whole season. And it's just a situation that was unnecessary. But the Brewers did get the 12-8 win, and Josh Hader uh, got another save, which is what Josh Hader does. Game two on a very uh, chilly night in uh, Pittsburgh. This was uh, more, more our tempo, Adam, and what we've been used to uh, this season from the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, a low-scoring game, uh, one that might have been partially aided by the weather. Um, the, the Brewers came out in the first inning and I think hit a, a couple of fly balls. Willie Adamas in particular hit one crushed to the warning track in his first about of the game. And we thought it was, you know, business as usual, Willie taking off uh, from where he he left uh, game one and the ball just died. Um, Adam, uh, this may have been your first experience with, uh, A, the uh, elements coming into play in baseball, and B, some questions that everyone across baseball has about what is happening to these baseballs.
2: Yes. So the night before this, you may remember the name, a Mets pitcher? I can't remember who Uh, it was.
3: Chris Bassett, yep.
2: Had made some comments, I will say, not maybe articulated in the best way, not giving detail, but he started to talk just about the ball and how inconsistent the ball is from inning to inning, how you don't know what to expect. And for me, this was all news. Because if there's one thing that I assumed, you know, could be relied upon or that Major League Baseball would have a handle on, I would have thought it was the baseball. It seems like a pretty simple thing when it is um, the essential element of all of your games to have something that everyone feels comfortable with, happy that it, you know, that what you're doing is repeatable, that you, you can trust in how it feels, how it comes off the bat, game to game, inning to inning. So that was interesting to me. The Brewers came out in this game, and I would say in the first two innings, they crushed, and I mean crushed, five balls. Like, better than they've hit it all season. And they were all just dying at death. Like, not even, not even getting close to the wall in most cases, where the sound off the bat, you're like, oh, that's, that's in the upper deck for some of them, and it's just dying. And you could see the look on disbelief um, on the players' faces. Definitely, I think Kutch had one, Rowdy had one, where they're just going back to the dugout, just baffled, like completely baffled by how, at minimum, they're not getting to the wall and getting a chance to, to get a double. It was very, very strange. Now, it was brutally cold. Um, <laughs> there were many brewers that were... You know, if you didn't know jersey numbers, they'd be tricky to identify because, like, Colton Wong, it was basically just, you could only see his eyes. He was so covered up. Willie Adames was not far behind that. Um,
3: Hunter Renfro had his satchel. <laughs>
2: he did. I, I had to ask you, I was like, what is with the bag that Hunter Renfro has? That seems, you know, something of a hindrance if you've really got to get after a ball in the outfield. I, I wouldn't want that kind of weighing me down or just kind of flopping around but I guess you know also a hindrance would be if your hands were completely iced at the time Um, but yeah I, I don't know like it seems like it was cold enough that maybe all of those hits not getting anywhere could be explained by the weather conditions but I also obviously had some other questions that I put to you because it was fresh in my head at this point that oh well maybe Maybe the ball doesn't always fly as people expect it to.
3: Um, yeah, it's something that's that's probably going to be an ongoing issue. I mean, there was the debate over a few years ago about, not really debate. It was kind of proven by people that did independent research. I think Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, uh, in particular, had a good article that that showed the balls are juiced. MLB has done this without saying anything, um, and that's why home runs are up. And now, apparently last year, they had a juice ball in play and a dead ball in play, and they didn't tell people game to game. And now it's clear that this ball.
2: So can you you tell me, even within a game, can you paint the picture of the journey of a baseball in a game? And even from inning to innings, the idea, because this seems like something that, uh, given the history of baseball and given the ways that. Advantages can be found that maybe um there have been many controversies for many different reasons over the history of the game. It would seem like something that would require a really tight handle on um so the journey of a baseball so there are a lot of
3: baseballs that go into play during there sure are. I mean from a foul ball to a ball that gets scuffed after it's hit, there are balls constantly being taken out of play um so the journey of a baseball i know the the umpires uh like ha- have a room where they rub up baseballs with this like special mud that comes from i don't remember where um just to you know take that like it's still it's still like uh has a a new ball look like it's not uh dirty to the point where it's like looks like a ball that i would have used to play when i was a kid and it's just like we have this ball and this is our ball but it it gives it some it's supposed to take that like New sheen feel off of it, um, and I guess it's not doing really a very good job. The new sheen particular.
2: feel is bad.
3: Yeah, you don't you don't want slick. You want you want. So some for, a okay, for a
2: pitcher, yeah, okay, for yeah, yeah,
3: you want you want some grip. So they, the, they do but that. The
2: one issue because I read about that and that blew my mind because one, obviously, the ball looks pretty new and it's out there. You're never yeah. like, oh. um, but that's immediately where you're bringing consistency into the game. You're if you're interfering at that point, just there is that's where you're not going to get the same ball pitch to pitch inning to inning game to game
3: well that's and i think that's one of the complaints because in the kbo um and i think in the japanese league they have these balls that come with this not necessarily an adhesive but there's like a a, an element of grip applied to the baseballs Mm -hmm. before they get to you so they don't need to like Use spider tack or something like Garrett Cole was using last year, or you know, sunscreen mixed with sweat mixed with rosin. Like, they, they don't have to do these things themselves to like feel like they actually can get a handle on the baseball or have 68 uh, year old men rubbing baseballs with mud <laughs> in the bowels of a stadium. Like, it's just insane to me that it has gotten to this point, like with the baseball that just like in the the highest like standard league of baseball with the best baseball players in the world. And they're just like out there using like uh, might as well be using like a baseball that you got from the gift shop on the first baseline or something. It's it's crazy to me. Um, And it's clearly affecting play. I mean, we watch the brewers every day. So we know that offense is down um for the brewers and it's been down across baseball i need to i'll do some research going into the next podcast so i can like see truly what the numbers look like this season and how things are being affected but i watched white Sox, blue jays um yesterday uh, i think it was one nothing blue jays win and these are like two high powered offenses that you're used to just seeing put up runs and it's just balls just dying in the in the gaps in the outfield and like ground ball weak contact by guys that you expect to just absolutely match. It's it's something that I mean I know they like I don't know what the end game is and like what MLB's goal is. Reduce offense doesn't really seem to make sense it for the guys. It's so fan. simple.
2: I, I mean you get all of that in all sorts of different sports. It's like uh it's like golf ball talk in golf and the idea of you know rolling back uh the ball so that guys don't hit it as far and so you don't have to keep like <laughs> at a very costly and non environmentally friendly way, buying up more land to lengthen holes to combat just how far guys hit it. A very simple solution to that would be to, to rein in the ball. But it, it seems like, I mean, that, that hasn't happened in golf and it's a very contentious issue. But it is always the most simple solution. And baseball, I, I do not understand why it's an issue. Why can they not manufacture a ball that is as they need it to be. The second it gets in someone's hand, there shouldn't be any other process involved. Because once the process is involved, that's where you are going to get real kind of differences and imperfections and inconsistencies added. That if the process was more streamlined, now I say this again, worked while reminding people, I I may have held a baseball in my life, I may not. I I think I have don't know when don't know where because not many around here so I certainly can't speak for pitchers in terms of just exactly what they're looking for with that feel and how when they get a ball that feels right that obviously has been kind of we'll we'll say treated in the appropriate manner before a game what the difference is to that so when that's not the case but I, I just the whole idea of it when I saw this thing about mud, I was like, "This is this is completely insane. This is wild."
3: And uh, MLB bought a stake in Rawlings from Newell Brands in 2018, so it's not like a situation because Rawlings is the baseball manufacturer. So it's not like where the NBA can go. All right, we're moving on from Sp- Spalding to Wilson. Uh, to and I guess in their mind, improve the basketball or whatever that was about. Um, but so it's. They have complete control over it, and there's no transparency. And they're not gonna like they can't just look for other
2: solutions. And also, it's they, them. <laughs> they had a lockout, so they had added time to for things like that. For all the things that were, you know, parked aside that you can't do during a lockout. One thing you could do if you are the actual baseball body who would assume at some point your league is gonna be back and you're gonna be looking to have your product would be to say, "Oh, can we use this time to uh, work on the ball?"
3: Yeah. But alas, uh, here we are. And like we said, this game was affected by those baseballs. Uh, Aaron Ashby got the start um, for the Milwaukee Brewers in this situation where it's, it's clear. Council's got kind of a rhythm figured out with him Uh, start and then have a day where he's in the pen for a few innings and then another start uh, a few days after that. And it seems like Ashby is game for the role. And I mean, he struggled with command, but he really he looked good in this game. Five and two thirds innings, one hit allowed. That was the only hit the Pirates would get in the baseball game. Five walks was the issue. Six strikeouts. Didn't allow a run until the sixth inning, uh, where Key Brian Hayes uh, double play scored uh, Diego Castillo and giving the Pirates a, a one nothing lead in the sixth inning, which. Felt almost insurmountable because of the conditions and what we were seeing with the baseballs. But the Brewers are, are proving to be a resilient team. Even if they aren't a consistent uh, offensive juggernaut, they're very resilient in the very next inning. Uh, Rowdy Telez fielder's choice to right field, uh, would score Christian Jelich to tie the game at one. And then a Tyrone Taylor single to left field would score Hunter Renfro to give the Brewers a 2-1 lead. From there, it was uh, time to turn things over to the bullpen, Adam. And, you know, that that usually ends up pretty well uh, in the previous inning uh, as Ashby exited with uh, one out left to get in the sixth inning and the Pirates taking a one nothing lead. Trevor Gott came in to close out that inning with a strikeout, got a scoreless inning from Boxberger and Devin Williams uh, in the top of the ninth inning. Uh Colton Wong would walk to score Rowdy Falez with the bases loaded to give the Brewers a 3-1 win. And then Josh Hader would walk two in the ninth, but then strike out three uh, to seal the win for the Brewers overall. Very low-scoring night in chilly Pittsburgh. Three runs for the Brewers on four hits. One run for the Pirates on one hit. They also had an error that resulted in one of those runs for the Brewers. But uh, interesting game. Uh, The Brewers couldn't do much with the Pirates pitching. Uh, Dylan Peters got the start uh, for Pittsburgh, and this is uh, another point of conversation because originally going into the game, Bryce Wilson was listed as the starter. He's a right-handed pitcher. Peters is a lefty, so they deployed the tactic that the San Francisco Giants uh, deployed by starting Sam Long on Monday. Adam, when Dylan Peters was announced as a starter after we were told it was going to be Bryce Wilson, did the thing that popped into my mind pop into your mind?
2: Yeah, and it's hard to feel that this was anything other than an attempt to just like, you know, this was a pump fake and they're trying to see if Craig Council was gonna bite on it. And this time he didn't. And we gotta we gotta salute him for that. Um, Roddy Tellas stayed in the lineup, Omar Narvaez stayed in the lineup. There wasn't just the kind of knee-jerk reaction that we've we've had before. And where all of a sudden it's all all of those guys are emptied out, and with Rowdy and Omar, like both delivering pretty well on the high end at the bat, given where the Brewers are as a team overall, like important players that if you were the Pirates or if you were the Giants, like that for the Giants that was a dream. I mean, you get to not you get to buy an extra day's rest for for your your kind of star pitchers. And you get to reduce the threat the Brewers pose and win a game. It's like everything, all boxes were checked for them. It's like the ideal scenario. And I guess the Pirates said, yeah, it would be nice if we could have that too. And it didn't work out that way, thankfully. This is a game really that when you look at it, and I mean, this also probably in spite of the Brewers making their own changes for the final game of the series, Looking at the pitching, too, you would say "Mm, they should probably be making this easier than it was. Like The fact that through six innings, they were actually trailing to the Pirates um, on this bullpen day was not ideal. But as you mentioned, one thing we're probably not giving them enough credit because we're getting so stressed game to game in the moment about how close these games are. They're really good at winning close games, which is a very, very nice tool to have. And the concern will just be, is close games good enough for when the playoffs come around? Like, Is is it okay to be, are you going to be able to contain the very best teams in the league to the point where you're in a close game that you can win it? And that has been the Brewers' problem in recent years. And it could be their problem again unless they find something or unless they, they find someone maybe over the course of the season that can unlock something and help them to get a bit more offense. The one thing from this game that I would just, I think would be remiss was not to really put some emphasis on was the incredible double play from Colt Among and Willi Um I have obviously not watched a whole lot of this, but I had not seen a play quite as impressive as this yet. And those two guys in particular, they combine a lot for some, some nice double plays. But just the, the awareness and the kind of inherent understanding of where they are positionally, there's an element of trust there. But I think you can have that level of trust with two defenders who are as good as those guys are. Um, but kind of Colton Wong sliding, kind of a blind flip up to Willie who just pinpoint accurate delivers um, to Rowdy. Yeah, Rowdy was, Rowdy was still in the game for all that. So Rowdy at first base for a crucial, crucial double play. Uh, crank council called it the defensive player of the year so far i would struggle to disagree with that
3: yeah i agree that was a great play um it's like something you see on mlb the show yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the uh the flip there uh you know we we cr- criticize uh, council for his bullpen uh usage in game one but like you said it, it is nice to see that in the eighth season of his managerial career i believe uh and, and in this new situation where Teams are starting to get an idea of his pattern with his lineup construction. That he can pivot if he knows that that they're uh, they're playing chicken with him. So uh, it was, you know, nice to see. Moving on to game three with the Brewers going for the sweep in Pittsburgh. Um, Freddie Peralta on the mound and Adam. This game had had one of the uh, how can you not be romantic about baseball uh, situations. Sure um, Andrew McCutcheon obviously played the the prime of his career in Pittsburgh and if you forgot the broadcast would mention that he was staying at his home 30 minutes away from Pittsburgh about every every time he was at the plate so he was at home uh, for the week
2: he was and also he... in the very sparsely attended games in this series the only cheers you would hear <laughs> for every time Andrew McCutcheon stepped up to the plate so Which is, that's nice that they, the feelings are really that fond that I think the pop for him was still greater than any of their own players over the course of the series. If you ever needed an example for why to,
3: um, like, try to win baseball games when you own a baseball team, it was the attendance in Pittsburgh. I mean, it was absolutely brutal. Uh, I feel bad for Pirates fans that the, the product on the field just the last few years hasn't, been up to the standards of their beautiful ballpark. But uh, Andrew McCutcheon uh, hit it, led off the game with a home run uh, to left. And
2: like you said, how often, uh, just my question on it, how often does that happen? Because I, I could get used to that, and I feel like it's definitely not something I'll ever get used to, but a lead off home run to start the game is very, very cool.
3: Yes, it is. It depends on who's on your team. Uh, Ronald Acuna <laughs> Jr. Does it, quite, does it quite regularly. <laughs> uh Andrew McCutcheon against a lefty leading off. I think I, I will make a proclamation that we'll at least we will see, see it. One more co- we will see that again this season. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think we will uh, in a game that he's leading off in a game. That's Col- Colton Wong's leading off. Not so sure. Yeah, but for sure. it might, it might, we might see a Colton Wong lead off triple down the line though. So, you know, all, all good things. Um, but again, Despite the
2: uh, maybe, maybe uh, an inside the park. uh, Ooh. Home run for Colt Long. Maybe that's the way that could happen. I would, I would
3: love that. That would, that would make for some fun podcasting. Uh, So despite Andrew McCutcheon's uh, early, early success, putting the brewers on the board, this would be another game where the offense had to kind of grow into things uh, because the game would remain one, nothing until the bottom of the seventh inning. When, uh, Swiss Swinski reached on an infield single to score Matt Gamble. And then a Diego Castillo sacrificed fly to Skinner, scored Chavis. And again, we find ourselves down 2 1 late in the game. And you and I were stressed out because, you know, we had the good vibes of the McCutcheon homer. Freddie Peralta gave six outstanding innings, six innings pitched, three hits, uh, no walks, no runs, seven strikeouts. You had mentioned on the last podcast, Freddie Peralta. Is the one guy who we're looking to have a start that reminds us he's Freddy Peralta, and he did that today.
2: Uh-huh. He sure did. Uh-huh. Um, one other thing, I guess, mentioning when we're talking about the, we're talking about the struggles offensively, and just how this became a game where, in spite of a home run on the very first uh, pitch of the game, it became something a little bit more stressful, a bit more painful. I think it would be remiss of us to say, and neither of us have lived through this, like maybe a lot of the people listening, but certainly from the broadcast, from the line of questioning to Brewers players after the game, um, Jose Quintana, who started the game for the Pirates, has been something of a Brewers killer, a Brewers boogeyman over the years. Um, I believe he was recently with the Cubs for multiple seasons. He was with the White Sox before that. So... You know, with the Chicago element in, not someone that um, Brewers fans would like to see have success against them, but it seems like with the divisional rival, he has had a knack for doing this to um, the Brewers in spite of, I guess, logic suggesting it shouldn't be the case. So that that was certainly a major storyline within the game um, as he delivered five very clean and in control innings. And it was very surprising when he was taken out of the game when he was, because his pitch count was not all that high.
3: Um, yeah, that was, that was a very interesting situation from the pirates and 78 pitches. He's got nine strikeouts completely settled in after that Homer. (laughs) I don't want to say it's a tanking move in April, but it, I, I don't know, man, that, that, uh, that just seemed a little off. Um, we should mention, uh, unfortunately, that uh, Brad Boxberger and Brett Suter um, combined for the uh, the two runs in in the seventh. Uh, not Box's sharpest outing, but he will bounce back. It had to happen at some point. Uh, he and Hater have just been absolutely. Amazing all season and you know
2: much much like Andrew, much like Trevor Gotts off like which you sparked. You know, these things can't always, you know, they can't go on forever.
3: They can't, uh, sadly, as much as, as we would like them to. Um, but you know, this game would would not uh end in a negative way in, unless something we're about to talk about uh puts a sour taste in your mouth. We would get to the ninth inning, um down two to one to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And with one out, uh, Christian Yelich would pinch it for Mike Brasso. And what would you do, Adam? He would lay down a blunt single to get the rally started. And I know in that moment, you were just trying to be decide whether you were seething or excited.
2: No, I was still seething. I was still seething. Uh, the difference is it obviously worked out in the end. And by the end, I could appreciate the top process. And Yelich speaking after the game, was just like, we needed to get something going. And that's that's what it was. It was just, there is no margin for error here. He said it was not a great bunt at all. Um, But, you know, he, he showed his speed. He did what he needed to do. It's a, it's a different conversation, too. Maybe one we won't fully dive into. But it is depressing when Chris Ellis is pinch-hitting coming into a game where you need runs. And he's like... We need to get something going. I better bunt, you know. That is also something that is, you know, worth a different kind of discussion maybe. Um, Colton Wong tries to bunt all too often, and that really bothers me. Um, I think he might be pretty good at it. It certainly seems that way. He had tried, I think, a couple of innings earlier. Um, I just, I do not like it. I don't like it. I, I Why is this a thing? Why is it allowed I understand its strategic uses, and I think there is. this is an example of where I could come to appreciate its uses. Um, and in this situation, ninth inning, desperate times call for desperate measures, I'll be more forgiving of it. I feel like Colton tried one in the sixth or seventh inning, and it's like, no, no, you've got time to stand up there and hit like a big boy still. And I, I just – I don't like it, but it was effective, it's only effective though because then guys actually hit after Yelly got on base. You know, it's there is a combination of the two. Yes, he gets on base, that's important, and that is ultimately, you know, a one one run game, him getting on base and then um getting batted in by Kutch. That is that is essential, completely essential to the Brewers winning the game. But once you do that, it still requires someone actually playing real baseball is what I have to say on it.
3: I was hoping we would get Adam, Bunt thoughts and we did folks. And that's, that's what we're here for. Um, yeah. One out bunt single by Yelich followed by a, a Colton Wong single to right. And Omar Novaez flared single to left field. And then Kutch. how can you not be romantic about baseball? A, a line drive, single over the second baseman's outstretched glove. If he catches that ball, the game's probably over and Pittsburgh win, but Colton Wong had slipped kind of getting back to second base. He could have doubled him off um, to end the game in Pittsburgh's favor, but it was, you know, just over his outstretched glove, two run score to give the Brewers a three, two lead. Andrew McCutcheon back in quote unquote his home. And he, basically wins the game for the Brewers, leading off with a homer, a two-RBI single in the night. He was partially responsible for every run that was scored in this baseball game. That gave way to Devin Williams in the ninth inning, um, coming on because Josh Hader uh, needed a day off because he was used in a game earlier in the series that he shouldn't have been needed in. But Devin Williams does his best Josh Hader impression, strikes out the side uh, to get the Brewers a 3-2 win and a sweep. Thirteen and seven on the season for the Milwaukee Brewers, eight and four away from home. So, uh, you know, most of the season has been spent playing on the road. Obviously, level of competition has been favorable for the Brewers here, but they're taking care of business despite not all things clicking on all cylinders. And at the end of the day, while we have concerns about the offense, it's they're in a good spot, and it's been nice to see.
2: Yeah, and get, game three falls, game two, and that they're behind. You've got to come from behind. You've got to find a comeback win late in the game. They do it. And the offense, If it, it does beg the question of, well, if you can get runs when you really need them, maybe try getting them before you really need them. It'll make life a whole lot easier. But again, like we talked about, just being able to win games, being able to get yourself out of a tough spot like that, like, that's that's a good trait to have. And it's Reflecting in their their records, I mean, they don't have the record if they don't have that kind of grittiness or that ability to win. So and
3: and we've got um on the horizon Luis Irias returning to the team and the lineup could provide a spark. I mean, he's he's a guy who hits for power and lengthen that lengthens that lineup by giving just another. Bat that can do something special like the Adamas and the McCutcheons and the Rowdies and even what Rimro shown. So if he comes back and guys start clicking and the, I mean the pitching is going to do what the pitching does. Is as you and I proclaimed at the beginning of the season, proven like, right. This pitching staff is more often than not going to perform. So I mean, twenty games into the season will cross over the kind of the one month mark because we started a weekend later into the season, but we'll. Turned the calendar page from April to May this weekend. And so far, so good for the Milwaukee Brewers.
2: Okay. Master Brewer Leaderboard. You and I had a healthy debate before we started about who we we're rewarding, how we we're rewarding, how this whole exercise is. I think, I think it was a productive playing. conversation. It was a productive conversation. And it's fair to say the conclusion we came to is Maybe one, we need, to, we need to be a little bit more generous and forthcoming. Maybe we need to reward more players over the course of a series. It won't always be the case that there's more players, but for example, in a sweep, that's going to be the case, as you'll see today. And the reason for that is one of the things we've been wrestling with is the need to reward big moments, big like standout memorable moments in a series where someone really delivers when it matters most. And also, then not to overlook maybe some of the quieter play, but some of the play that comes from real standout consistency. And so with that, we have come to a healthy balance this time around. But we are also, we're going to kick off with one retrospective award. Because on a pod that you weren't on, to be fair, so we didn't get to talk through it in person. We had talked through it in... um text form via Twitter DMs Jordan and I had then had a conversation on a pod I gave Jordan a casting vote he went another way and really there shouldn't have been a casting vote we probably should have said yeah both of those guys are deserving but we opted or I should say you and Jordan opted to be completely <laughs> accurate not to give Christian Jalic uh, a master point for his grand slam I thought at the time we should, I could see the argument then at the time as to why we didn't. But I think that's a flaw in our, uh, in our grading system. If we're not going to reward players, who have had a grand slam, even if the other two games in the series aren't quite as good, because if you're a pitcher, okay, you're going deep into a game for a starting pitcher. You're having to work through a lot of innings, but you're playing once in a series, once every two series. And that one good game is getting a pitcher rewarded. I think if it, if an offensive game is impressive enough for a position player, I, I think we need to also, we need to be fair. that to level the playing field because that's my one concern is I don't want it just to be a guarantee that a pitcher is going to be top of this, at the end of the season, or that a position player is either because the pitchers aren't going to play as often. So it's finding the balance and we're, we're being proactive. We're being productive and we're working through it. So with that in mind, Christian Jalic, one master brew point. You'll see that added to the leaderboard. For this week, Willie Damas, no surprise. Seven RBI, two homers. You can't overlook that. At that point, he was in pole position for to be the first person to get two master brew points in a single week. Whether it's the ball, whether it was the weather. Some of the very clean contact he made after the fact did not result in anything else. So it will be a single point for Willie Adana's, but I don't think anyone's going to dispute his place on, on this list this week. Andrew McCutcheon. Lead-off homer, follow-up with two RBI to win the game. 3-2 game back in Pittsburgh. All of the emotion, all of the attention that brings to him to get his first home run for the Brewers back at his old team in the city where, yes, as you said, the broadcast team kept reminding us his family lives and where he was sleeping in his own bed. That is very cool, um, but he was very much – he was clutch in that game, Andrew McClutchin, if you like, um, to, to bat home those those final those final two runs was obviously a big deal, and without him in that game, the Brewers would have been lost. So Andrew McClutchin – First master point of the season for him. Freddy Peralta. First for him too. Very clean game. Six innings pitched, three hits, no runs, no walks, seven Ks. Hard to complain. No, nothing really to dispute there. Josh Hader, two saves. Should he have needed to have two saves? That's a different conversation when we've had, but uh, four strikeouts and 1.1 innings pitched. Yeah, that will that will get the job done. Similarly, Devin Williams asked to step up and deliver a save. He does that. Two innings pitched overall, 4Ks, job done. And for Devin, who's had some shaky moments this season, to say the least, very reassuring to see him just take care of business. And lastly, and I guess one of the beneficiaries of our our new understanding of how we're going to reward players, Colton Wong, who is not hitting the ball all that well, um, I can't think of too many instances where he's getting anything into the outfield. As you said, it's line drives and it's kind of trying to find corners is very much his game anyway. But he was really consistent in this series. Five for 11, uh, four runs overall. He's He's been really, really good. And of course, a crucial part of that big double play in game two as well. So strong, strong series for him. So... Yeah, I mean I I think we've we've reached a point that uh I hope everyone will agree we're we're working through, it. we're finding we're finding the right formula still. We're committed, unlike our friends at the Eurostep, to the integrity of the market. So we will retrospectively add a point for something we've missed when the rules have been adjusted. But for the overall update, um what it means is through 20 games, Josh hater is the new master brew leader with four master brew points. And on a this point in the season, I don't think we can dispute that he is probably the front runner in terms of their best player
3: uh yeah he's he's probably the best closer in baseball i mean i don't think that's i don't think that's something that can be disputed. Uh, I will listen to arguments, but he's just absolutely filthy when when you think of <laughs> dominant relief pitchers you, you think about josh Hader. um i will say i think we've we've gotten to a really good spot with these and it's just like what these mean and what they represent. Cause baseball is a, a funny sport in terms of how things happen. It's a sport about moments and guys coming through in the clutch, but also like it's about building an inning with, you know, consistent play. So this is uh, I think we've reached a happy medium where we can reward the guys that come through in the clutch and have just like the big moment for the series and also guys that have just been consistent. So this is good. I will say, uh we kept mentioning the broadcast. Um Jeff Levering, who's been great all season, obviously. So, Sophia Minner, um, who's as as good of a uh, uh sideline reporter as exists in, in baseball. And then Tim Dillard, I think, got his season debut as an analyst. I was at the first game, I was like, oh, I kind of I kind of miss rock. Uh but Dillard really grew on me and his his shtick throughout the series. I just want to say I think uh valley sports wisconsin like the talent that they just we talk about this almost every time we listen to them and especially anytime we transition to like a national game and have to listen to someone else there's just like consistently intelligent and entertaining uh broadcasters and analysts no matter same, what same
2: applies for the books and i know that's something that you wouldn't have a whole lot of exposure to but like particularly with marcus johnson jim and marcus over the years and then Lisa Uh, I I feel like was a really good addition this year like when when you get particularly when you get your kind of your a team your your number one crew on games they've done a really great job because from years of experience of watching around the NBA um, and I'm sure you could attest to around baseball and as you said the national broadcast it is not always the case that broadcasts are as good as Bally sports Wisconsin deliver so big kudos to them on that
3: yeah, it's I I've gotten into a bad habit over the years, especially with a team I used to watch. And it's just uh podcasts or music over a faint broadcast because it just like drives me in because they're so bad. Uh, if in a few weeks, Adam, I might get you to listen to a few innings uh, of a road broadcast for a certain series that's coming up. Oh, just so I, so I wonder what that could be. Just just so you can see what I'm talking about. But. That series is not next because the Brewers return home uh, this weekend to take on the, the Chicago Cubs, the team uh, that the Brewers took on during their open, opening series of the season at Wrigley Field. That uh, didn't go well, lost two out of three, but uh, now it's the time for redemption, uh, game one, which will be tonight. Uh, don't even ask me what time because I'm looking at a – UK uh I feel it's, like
2: it's around 7:30 Central.
3: It's so it's 110 a.m. 710 Central then. 710 Central. There we go, Adam. It's gonna be Adrian Hauser versus Kyle Hendricks, who is the pitcher that the Brewers have already faced this season. Uh game two, which will be on Saturday at hold on, I'm gonna backtrack. Is it six Six hours ten central. Uh, Eric Lauer, Lauer versus Justin Steele, another guy the Brewers face this season. And then at twelve ten, 10 no, 110, yeah, one <laughs> 110. one ten ten. One one ten Central on Sunday, Corbin Burns versus Marcus Stroman. I, I really hope I'm somewhere not in the air because that is a game I really want to see. Corbin Burns on the mound against Stroman. Two uh, really good pitchers. One, best pitcher in the National League, and Stroman's also, you know, Very talented. That could be a a fun uh, matchup and a fun series overall. I'm interested to see how Eric Lauer um, finishes up his uh, best start of his career, maybe uh, from last Sunday night baseball. And then Adrian Hauser, you know, he'll probably give you the six innings, three strikeouts, two earned runs and a whole lot of ground balls. And if, if he does that, uh, I like the brewer's chances, but Yeah. Here we are, 20 games into the season, ready to uh, play 142 more.
2: All right. If you're enjoying listening to the podcast, please make sure to go and give us five-star ratings wherever you listen. If it's on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. With that in mind, shout out to Alexander23, who left a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Subject line, the Brewer's Podcast I Didn't Know I Needed. Interest in baseball slash the Brewers has waned to me over the past decade plus after loving it as a child, and that interest had been replaced with a similarly foolish books fandom, in parenthesis, foolish until last year. But hearing both these gentlemen express their newly found love for my childhood, team is starting to bring me back. Adopted in Andrew's case, doesn't matter, welcome aboard. Possibly naive in Adam's case, doesn't matter, welcome aboard. This podcast has helped me find what I had lost, and it is starting to feel good being back. Great review.
3: It was great. Uh, it really warmed my cold, dead heart. And I mean that genu- <laughs> genuinely. It just, like, like uh, I came into this season worried I was going to not have a team to embrace just because of everything I explained in episode one. And to see people, like, on Twitter or in the Discord or, in, like, a great review like this, just be like, hey, you're one of us now. Like, welcome to the team. It's It kind of makes me feel validated and seen. So that's very nice.
2: Yeah, you're, you're being embraced by a team. Not only do you have a new team to embrace, they're bracing you back. All right, we will be back most likely on Monday. Um, the Brewers do have a rare day off, though, early next week, too. I believe they're off on Tuesday, which is good for them. Um, until then, make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, Cruising for a Bruising. You can also subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network. That is where you'll hear from, from me, too, um, on lots of book stuff. Myself and Jordan on winning six, Ty and Rowan on the Eurostep and at the moment with the Bucks in playoff mode and the second round series against the Boston Celtics set to start Sunday. All of us combined on regular post-game crossover podcasts. If you want to get into the Discord, you can go to the link in my Twitter bio. I can say that now because I did it after many years. You can fill out the Discord access form or if you want to do it even simpler, send us a screenshot of a five-star rating and review. I'll I'll get you invited in. We've got a great Brewers channel in there, great books channel. If you want the whole kind of a large group chat experience where you can go and talk all things Wisconsin sports, the GSPN Discord is the place to do that. And lastly, one final reminder, GSPNstore.com 22 percent off with promo code playoffs 22. Truth April 30th. If you want to support us, want to support all of the Eurostep Podcast Network shows. That is the place to go do it. Go pick up some of our our great merch. Our logo looks great. It will look even better on you. Until the next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew.
3: Thanks, Adam.